welcome to a special bonus episode of First Take, a podcast ministry of First Reformed Presbyterian Church in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I'm Assistant Pastor Jim Curtis, here with my senior pastor, Brent Horan, to offer you our take this week on Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. Okay, Brent, so we're in the book of Joshua. Um, Let's go ahead and encourage folks to turn there uh, in order to study the Bible. Bible has to be open, right? So let's get them, let's get them open. Um, and while they're opening it, let me just uh, kind of explain. If you haven't yet listened to the episode uh, of studying the Bible well, uh, we would encourage you to just go and do that. We're going to assume that you've listened to that episode as we uh, kind of walk through this passage. So we really encourage you to go do that. The other thing that I'll say before we hop in is that um, there's a lot of behind the scenes work that's happened. Um, Pastor Brent has picked this passage and, uh, you know, Brent, you've you've given a lot of thought to this. You've looked this stuff up. So we've done a lot of work. So while this episode hopefully will remain fairly brief, um, there is no expectation. Uh, it's kind of un, unrealistic. Um, even Brent and I and other pastors would say that the amount of information we're about to give you in about 10 minutes is, is not 10 minutes worth of work. Is that fair? It's totally fair because if... Uh... In full disclosure, I wrote a paper in seminary where I, it was for Dr. Kerr. It was a 20-page paper on this particular passage, and I've preached on it, and I've used it many times. So it's kind of cheating in some ways. So so, so roughly more like 25 minutes worth of prep uh, for this. <laughs> then. No. So, um, yeah, I just want to set, set the reality there, too. Okay. So um, last time, uh, Brent, we, we talked about studying the Bible in these three categories of context, meaning, and application. So let's walk through uh, Joshua 1, 1 through 9 in those three categories, um, starting first, of course, with context. Uh, Give us a few uh, things about the context here. And and while you do, share where maybe you got some of these things um, and and how you were able to to determine some of these these factors. Right. So uh, this is a wonderful passage. And uh, in many ways, um, like Jim said, if if you just want to stop and just go read the first nine verses, that might be helpful um, to understand some of it. But just getting some of the ideas when you talk about where do you get some of this, you know, some of the things we said were author, uh, occasion, purpose, genre, those types of things. Um, you know, some of those can come from your own study. Some of it actually comes from the text itself. Some of the things that I've got actually come from the first uh, few verses or perhaps in the book somewhere else. So like just thinking about Joshua as we're coming to it, in many ways, we don't know exactly who wrote Joshua. It could have been Joshua. It could have been Samuel. It could have been somebody later. We're not exactly uh, sure. It's not ultra important for this particular uh, passage or even the book. Uh, but then also just thinking about uh, what Joshua is. In some ways, many of us already know it's about the conquest. It's about um, God delivering the land to them. They've gone through the wilderness. They've come out of Egypt, gone through the wilderness, and now they're heading into the land. Many of us know that that's the context for the book itself. We're going to see battles, and we're going to see God give them the land as they take it. And so um, one of the other aspects was uh, genre. That's an easy one in this instance. We're not in some (laughs) weird prophecy or apocalyptic literature or something like that. This is historical narrative, and that's helpful um, because there's going to be some markers as we read, as we study this. So we're what we want to believe about that, one of the things that's helpful with that is to say, we are reading something that actually happened, right? Mm-hmm. This is historical. This isn't some myth. This isn't poetry. These are events that took place uh, in time and space. 
Um, so like the historical context, which is really important, obviously it comes after Deuteronomy and in the first couple of verses, it's going to make it very clear. Moses is dead. Mm. And that is huge. That is huge for understanding what is actually coming in these first few verses. Um, it's almost like there's a little bit of a pause here at the beginning of Joshua. And one of the things you would notice as soon as you read through this, you should notice that I believe eight verses of it are God speaking directly to Joshua. Mm. So there's an opening statement that Moses is dead. And then there's this call of Joshua, and then God speaks to Joshua. And so we should see that immediately and go, wow, God is opening this book himself with his own words. Um, And not just to the people, he's speaking to a guy named Joshua. Hmm. So those and some other things I might be working through in my own head um, to kind of uh, gather even just at the beginning. What am I walking into here? Hmm. That's great. Any study materials that you found particularly helpful here uh, or any that you would recommend? I mean, is this kind of study Bible uh, uh, introductory stuff? Um, I know a lot of uh, a lot of context is really just by reading the rest of the Pentateuch, like you said. But <laughs> any 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 main resources on some of that stuff? You know, um, I think Del Ralph Davis has a Joshua commentary, if he I'm does, not mistaken. Yeah. So uh, you have to start there. Um, Dr. Kurt also has another one. Um, there are some other ones that might be more technical that I haven't looked at in a while. I have a technical one, um, I think, from my time in seminary. But uh, those two would be extremely easy to read. Like if you wanted to study the book of Joshua, grab those two, put those next to you. There's going to be introductory material that you'll read. Um, and then start plowing through and take your time and you're not bored. You're just never Mm. bored in those two Mm. commentaries. So that's right. I'll just give one quick plug for the ESV Bible Atlas that I know you use and I have used, um, some great kind of historical information there. And then, uh, one plug for our dear professor, John Currid, um, and his work in, uh, crossways, uh, archaeological study Bible, something yeah, to that right. effect. Um, uh, I've uh, looked at some of those study notes and it's really fascinating stuff. Okay. So, wait, so did we give three plugs for Dr. Kurd. He's got a commentary, he's got a Bible Atlas and he has an archaeological. Yeah. I'm pretty Bible. sure. I'm pretty sure we already deposited his sponsorship. Did we get... check. Okay, good. Yeah. I think, I think we're good. Okay. So um, let's get to the, the real meat here. So, okay. Context important, helps us set up really what we're here to do. What does this passage mean? So, Talk us through meaning as a circle. Walk us through things that you see in the text that may be helpful. Um, give us the meaning. So I think one of the things, I wish I'd said this in the in the last podcast, but one of the things that helps us get to the meaning is um, get into the emotion of the text, especially a text like this. And what I mean by that is we need to ask some questions of the text. So God is speaking to Joshua. So I want to ask the question, what would this mean to Joshua? Why is it important that God is opening the book to talk to him and the things that God specifically says to him? And then I would ask, I would answer some of those questions. Joshua needs to be encouraged. He's following Moses, which is like Michael Jordan has retired and you've been hired to walk in his footsteps. You need to shoot like him, dribble like him. You need to pass like him. You dunk like him. And so Joshua needs some of that. He also knows the people, and he needs God to show him, um, and he knows what's coming in Canaan. He needs to hear from God. 
that this is going to be successful because I'm, I'm already giving it to them. And then mm. the next question is, how would the people hear this? How would the people, they would know about this? What would that mean for them? That Well, one of the things it would mean is God is speaking to Joshua in many ways like he spoke to Moses. Oh, you know what? He is like another Michael Jordan. <laughs> we should be following Joshua. And so you can begin to ask the questions from that perspective. Okay, what does Joshua need to hear? Why would this be important to the people? And all of this sort of um, comes to ask, uh, you end up asking the same question. Why is God having this conversation with, with Joshua in the first place and all these things he's saying? So you can answer those. He's telling him about meditating on the Word of God. He's telling him, I'm going to make sure that this takes place. I'm going to be with you. All these various things that would be for him. And then um, some of the things about meaning. Uh, since we're in historical narrative, I'd be looking for some uh, repeating words. And there's mm-hmm. a couple that show up. One in particular is the word give. I believe it's three or four times it says um, that God is giving this land. That means, and he says this explicitly, I'm fulfilling my promise to you. So what does this mean? It's a reminder to people. God has blessed us this way. God has made promises to his people that go all the way back to Abraham We've been waiting for hundreds of years, and now we, this generation, this people, me, Joshua, we're receiving that promise that we've been waiting for for hundreds of years. Mm -hmm. So that's just one level of it. Um, You know, my brain kind of goes forward a little bit. Remember, we talked about asking, what does it mean? Okay, what does it mean to Joshua and the people? Those types of things. You can answer a bunch of questions there. Then I might ask, well, what would it mean for the kings later on? What would it mean for David? (laughs) And some of this uh, passage, you would see the language pound through when other kings are um, addressed, when they Mm -hmm. become king. And Mm -hmm. one of the things I would tell you is, first thing is, Joshua is a prototypical king. He's sort of the first king in some ways. Um, And so David, knowing this story, be strong and courageous. What am I supposed to do? Meditate on the Word of God. Mm -hmm. The other kings they would hear that. I'm, I'm supposed to be strong and courageous in the Lord. I'm to meditate. I'm to obey His commands. See how we're pounding through history. You could ask the same question of, of the exile. We won't do that for our purposes here. Another question of meaning I think is really important of this text is one of the promises is that if you meditate, if you obey, you will prosper and be successful. Well, what would that mean for Joshua? Would it mean that Josh would have this huge mansion? He would get, he would have all kind. Of, he'd have a great job. He'd have um, a wonderful salary. Um, he'd have many children. What does it mean? What does it biblically mean hmm. to prosper and succeed? Hmm. We'd have to answer that question. It's you know, and many times we might um, connect that to to financial or physical prospering, but the Bible doesn't really have that in mind all the time. It depends on the context, what we're talking about. Yeah. So you can see, you hear the meaning is a circle, right? You can hear, I mean, I'm, I'm just scratching the surface on the various questions of meaning that I might end up asking. Because mm-hmm. then I'm going to ask, okay, pounding through, through history, what does this mean for us? Mm-hmm. And that's where I'll leave some of those answers uh, for more the application um, question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, another thing that, that strikes me is, uh, you know, the giving of the land and that sort of thing is going to have an impact on, on, um, what we would call the eschatological. Maybe that's what Mm -hmm. you're kind of saving for the application. But, um, you know, author of the Hebrews is going to talk about that land of rest. Um, and so, uh, a lot of that, um, typical prototypical stuff is, is clearly Mm -hmm. going on there. Okay. So speaking of application, um, let's get to the, so what question. 
Okay, so um, if I could kind of summarize the meaning, um, read the text, right? Uh, see what it says. Some of the meaning is very plain, uh, very simple, but also do our best to get in the minds of Joshua, the minds of the people, and even minds of David, the minds mm-hmm. of, of subsequent kings. The book of Joshua is going to be huge for the rest of the Bible. Um, uh, but then also um, really reflect on um, the text and, and try and pick out those those repetitions, right? Um, and even begin making those connections, right? So sometimes it's not even words. Sometimes it's phrases. Sometimes it's themes. So you come across, you know, I'm thinking here of like Hannah. Oh, another barren woman, right? So mm-hmm. so look for those repetitions. Look for those sorts of things. Okay. Now, what does this have to do with me in the 21st right. century? What does this have to do with FRPC? How does this stuff apply? What am I supposed to do now? You know, we talked about think, feel, do. Walk us through think, feel, do, and then uh, preacher, show us Jesus. You know, I think, and we just scratched the surface on our study, right? And you mentioned this in the last podcast. This is where the teacher, uh, the pastor, uh, the person sitting there is like, what do I do with all of this? And we have to distill this <laughs> into, you know, if you're preaching a sermon, you know, 30, 35 minutes, I can't say everything. And I can't mm-hmm. give you the 97 ideas of application that I came up with. I've got to give you some. So doing think, feel, do. This is fairly simple. Think. One of the things that's a uh, repeating phrase is I will be with you. Mm-hmm. And that it's so important for Joshua. You pound through the through the story important for Joshua. It's important for us. It shows up twice. What am I to think? I'm supposed to know that God is with me. And I'm supposed to know that God is with me even in most difficult things, because Joshua's about to go and try to attack Canaan with, uh, in many ways, not warriors, and they're, they're supposed to take this land, right? And so that hits me. I'm to think. I know God is with me. Okay, feel. Closely connected to this is the statement, um, I will not leave you or forsake mm. you. I mean, just allow that to wash over you to feel that it's not just I will, he he adds to, I will be with you. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. How often we need to hear that. The New Testament repeats that in multiple places, including Hebrews, I believe. It's important for Joshua, but think about your own heart. Hmm. And I need to feel this. I can't, it can't just be the I know this. I need to know it in the experiential sense that hmm. my God isn't leaving me and how that hmm. affects my love and my gratitude, my trust hmm. in who God is. Hmm. And then so that's think, feel and then do. This one's pretty easy in this passage. There's a, a heightened importance of the scriptures. He tells him to meditate on the word. Uh, don't don't depart from it. Meditate, meditate on it day and night. Obey the commands. So um, we're called, as we know, to meditate on God's Word as well, to hide it in our hearts. And you can see how all of these things are connected. The do is what recalls the feel and the think. It's what informs it. I have to read the Scriptures, meditate on them, so I continually hear God tell me, I'm with you. I love you. I will never leave you. I'll forsake you. All those things. I need to remember how to love him back Hmm. in following him. If you love me, you'll keep my commands. So you can see all these things are working together. They're not just like, they're not separate things. They they tend to overlap in that way. So that's the think, feel, do. And all of these things are not disconnected from Jesus. Because we talked about last week, if you'd missed this part, you've missed it. And you've already hinted at some of it. (laughs) But I think one of the questions you can ask is, what would this mean to Jesus? The story of of these uh, verses one through nine. Well, Jesus is, was, he's called to meditate on the word of God hmm. and he had to do it perfect. 
You know, he's called to uh, obey the commands perfectly, and he did. Um, Joshua is another name for Jesus, right? Mm. So there's the obvious connection to Jesus. And guess what? Joshua is the prototypical king. Jesus is the king, mm. the antitype. He mm. is the true king to come. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you've got a number of things with the idea of typology that you, you point out in Hebrews. You've got this land and this inheritance. We can say Joshua, Jesus in the Old Testament, is bringing the people into the land. Our Jesus brings us into the land, but Jesus doesn't just bring us into the land. Jesus is the land, mm-hmm. our inheritance. Mm-hmm. So there is so much here. You could hear how we've just done this in, you know, 15, 16 minutes or so. You can hear how the sermon would be four or five hours if you tried mm-hmm. to deliver all of this in a manageable way for people to take in. But if you did your own study um, and you walked through this passage, you would you would just dive into such richness. Mm-hmm. And And here's the thing. Some passages are more difficult than this. Some passages are easier than this. Right. Um, but they're all rich because the Lord speaks to us in them. Hmm. You know, I, I just have w- one other way to see Jesus, because I, I think you're right. He's he's all over the place in this one mm-hmm. in particular. Um, you know, he's in every passage, but this one just really has so many angles here. Um, I'll never forget a minister preaching on this passage. Um, uh, he said, um, uh, you know, the promise is great. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And then he paused and he said, but then why does Jesus say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Yeah. And and then he began to weave in that the reason Joshua can be promised uh, that God will never leave him nor forsake him is because someone is coming whom God will forsake right. on Joshua's behalf. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, it, it doesn't even need to be... Uh, uh, as clear, like as Joshua is the Hebrew version, right, of Jesus's name, which is the Greek version of Joshua. Um, uh, sometimes those words like forsake can really have that powerful connection yeah. looking forward. And that shows that that divine authorship that we talked about in the episode, right? It shows the the unity of, mm-hmm. uh, of the scriptures that I think is so, so crucial. Yeah, I, lo- I love that angle, right? Because you, like you said, Sometimes it's really clear sort of the positive side, but if you can see it uh, from another angle and you start to see, well, Jesus was forsaken for me, there's another way you could look at the Scripture in that same way. This is where this is why we say Jesus is in every page. There's ways mm-hmm. to find him um, in ways you may not suspect. Maybe we'll do another one in the future that is more complicated, and we'll wonder, where's Jesus here? And we'll, we'll, we'll work through that. Hmm. Well, in the meantime, brother, I, I'm thankful for your time, thankful for uh, this uh, this kind of dive into Joshua 1, 1 through 9. I hope it's helpful to you, our listeners, um, in kind of giving a practical example of what we talked about last time uh, in uh, our take on studying the Bible well. Uh, but until next time, we are uh, Jim Curtis and Brent Haran. We're thankful for your time. And Brent, thanks for your take, brother. We'll see you soon. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Jim.